Welcome. This is Nothing Rhymes with Garrett's. I'm your host slash namesake, Chris Garrett's. And I'm Sam Mulberry. Sam, uh, we have been pacing ourselves with That's this right. podcast. We're not overexerting. We're not giving people any more than they really need. But how long has it been since we did an episode? It's almost been exactly a year. Pretty close. And yeah. we're in, we're right, right now we're in Arden Hills, Minnesota, on the fourth floor of the CC building in, at Bethel University. Where were we the last time we did this? We were in a, a hostel bedroom in London. Um, Very in small London. hostel bedroom. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so, so this is a, this is a little bit different. I feel like, 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 uh, nothing rhymes with Garrett's appears precisely when it needs to. That's right. right. And, and, and not, not before that. No. And yeah, I just, I want to leave people wanting more. Um, I also just don't want to work very hard. That's right. This. So basically it's taken a year for the two of us to come up with, uh, some words to talk about. So if you're new to the premise, here's how this works. Uh, my last name is famously difficult to spell and or pronounce. And I still spell it wrong all the time. I mean, I know how it's spelled, then I write it wrong who, half the time. Who can blame you? It doesn't seem to make any sense in English. Now, if this were a German podcast, we wouldn't have it because uh, what I'm about to say wouldn't make sense. But in English, I am convinced that there is not a single word that rhymes with Garrett's. Now, what about carrots? Someone just said. Yeah. It is Gertz. It's one syllable, not Gertz. Whatever some of my cousins might say, it's it's Gertz. So you've got to come up with a word like that. But I'm willing to be proven wrong. And so each, I was going to say each week, each year, apparently, for each episode, we each bring a set of three words, ostensibly to see if they rhyme with Gertz, actually just to talk about them. But uh, Sam, do you want to go first or you want me to start? Why don't you kick us off? Okay. So uh, here's the word I've been noodling on, Sam. The word is interim. Hmm, does interim rhyme with Garrett? Nothing rhymes with Garrett, Sam, but I've been thinking about interim because uh, we're in the middle of what's called uh, J-term at Bethel. It's a three-week kind of intensive uh, – it's in between fall and if spring If I had semesters. a bell, I would ring it right now because can I tell you one of the words that I picked? Is it? The word that I picked was intensive. Oh, perfect. Okay. For the same reason. Should so. we just put these together yes, into we one should. discussion? And neither of them rhyme with Garrett. It doesn't, but – so they do fit. And so I, this is the one I thought you might pick. So yep. I'm glad you, you went kind of a different direction. So I don't know how many schools out there still do this. Bethel adopted in the 70s, I think. So Mm -hmm. it used to be called like a 414 plan. But the idea is that you have one three-week intensive uh, educational experience. So students are doing other things. They're playing. They might do a sport or something. Um, But this is the only academic class they have. We do it in the morning. We do Bethel's Western Civ Church History class, Christianity, Western Culture together. And the the idea is that every day of class is like a week of class in a normal semester. So it's uh, two hours and 45 minutes. We take a break. We do some kind of flip classroom things. It's a lot of work for students uh, and sometimes for professors. And I... I think it's kind of great. I We have this debate on the faculty all the time. I love it, partly because it lets us do things like what led us to London last year, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a good way to do a three-week study abroad experience, which uh, for some students is nice because they can't do a whole semester. But even on campus, you can do some things very differently than you would in a 15- to 16-week semester or even like a six-week summer kind of course. Right. And I will say um, we have taught together in, in interim uh, studying abroad multiple times. Um, I do not have a lot of experience teaching on campus in interim. You do. You have you've done that more regularly. Yeah, I've taught. So the the trip we lead is World War One, but I actually taught that on campus in interim for um, what four or five years. I taught a class on World War Two for a couple of years. I taught a class on the Cold War for a couple of years. Um, I would say they're fine. I mean, they're kind of they're, they're those were all Gen Ed classes that. Really, especially like Cold War, because it covers quite a bit of time. It really belongs more in a semester. The two World War classes work pretty well. 
because you're really not covering that much time. And you can kind of set aside time for like films mm-hmm. who are really good. Uh, you can do projects in ways uh, that actually work pretty well. Um, that in some ways it's harder to do when you spread the student work over 15, 16 weeks. Um, I love what we're doing now. It's a blast. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, if you know us here, you know that we teach this class a lot. Sam's taught now 47, 48 times as a student here, as a professor. Um, I've taught it for now 17 years. And we teach in a variety of ways. In fall and spring, it's it's kind of a two-lecture a week with a small group discussion. In the summer, we do a purely on format. This is kind of the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. We don't lecture. We use other media to flip the classroom. But then in class for two and a half hours each day, man, I feel like we're going deep into readings. Things can kind of stretch out. Yeah. So this is a course that we've ta- we've both taught many, many times. And they're readings that we've done many, many, many yeah. times to the point where – when I teach the course now, I don't always go back and reread these. But because this is the only thing that I'm doing this January, I've gone back and reread stuff. Uh, and even if I haven't reread, I can't believe – I feel like it's opening up in different ways. I'm seeing things I didn't see before. I'm seeing connections I didn't see before. What's your favorite reading kind of given this new set of eyes? It is uh, oddly a reading that I never thought much about, which is uh, we have a reading from um, Benedict of Nursia, you know, from writing around uh, – right around the year 500 or so. It's from the rule of St. Benedict. And I've never thought much of that reading. And I read it this week and I just thought this feels like – such a, a motivational halftime speech of of the millennium, right? Like the, the Roman Empire's just fallen and it's like he's trying to, you know, rally the troops, rally rally Christianity back and say, I know the empire fell, I know things look bad. God's calling us to get to work. It's hmm. great. Yeah. I just I'm like I am I was moved reading it in ways that something I've read many times just it just always kind of landed flat and I just I feel differently about Benedict reading that. Yeah, it's it's just reminding me of what I already believed, which is that in many ways interim is the purest form of Bethel education that we can give. Like you've distilled everything down to this one intensive experience. But it, it, the word itself is odd, right? Like it's I guess interim because it's in the middle of these right. two regulars, but it is it's not pejorative quite, but like if you think about where else do we use the word interim? I think of like interim pastor, interim right. part time, or someone yeah. just kind of marking time till the real thing happens, and it it just seems like such a terrible way to describe what we're doing. But in a sense, like so much so much of what we're doing with education is in this interim, mm-hmm. right? But between you know childhood and adulthood, and it, I actually have decided to embrace it. My, my question is, I mean, because we we could talk forever about how how much we love this. Are there things that you miss doing it this way that that we don't get? Uh, that we do get when we do it in semester with our regular faculty team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing is just uh, I I don't feel like I see hardly anyone. I mm-hmm. mean, partly because of how it's taught. Some people get releases to other things. People are traveling. It just feels like Bethel is depopulated right now. The one thing I actually really miss, because there was a moment last week where I thought we should reconvert the whole calendar to a series of these blocks, which some schools do. But one thing I love about the semester is that students, because they're taking four or five classes and it's a mix of things in your major and gen ed, like they start seeing unforeseen connections. Like, I mean, the one that's probably most predictable that used to happen more when we had more students in these majors is I'd have students take modern Europe with me and then take a basically a modern course in literature or philosophy or theology at the same mm-hmm. time. And I never planned anything with those professors, but students would suddenly 
catch parallels, mm-hmm. see connections, and it just only enriched the class. And it was a nice little model to them if they're getting all these different vantage points on sometimes very similar time periods or questions or cultures. Right. And you can't do that in, in this intensive format. Certainly. So certainly. I missed that. Okay. Sam, why don't you go next? What's your next word? All right. Uh, my my second word uh, is the word plus. Plus. Or, or does that rhyme with carrots? Does that rhyme with carrots? Uh, that does not rhyme with carrots. How about plus? Does plus rhyme with carrots? <laughs> We're only doing English. Okay. Um <laughs> And do you know what I'm referring to when this, I say plus? Uh, is this related to a mouse of some sort? Kind of. It's yeah. related to streaming services. Because yeah. actually what I've noticed is there's Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. Both are from the same company. So that makes sense. But then there's Apple TV Plus. So like plus is – Oh, I missed that. I mean it's, it's it sort of seems like that that's the indicator for the over-the-top services. So I'm curious about – what your not your not your sort of TV watching diet, mm-hmm. but I'm curious about like what are the services that you subscribe to? What don't you subscribe to, and why do you make those choices? We so I'll start by saying we don't have cable. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the actual TV, it's even an old enough TV. The streaming stuff doesn't work very well, so that's just antenna. So all we do is Amazon Prime mm-hmm. and Netflix. Okay, and that's it. Um, I feel like I tried Hulu once several years ago. Um, for a while, I was getting uh, – we had an institutional subscription to Canopy, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of a European art documentary film um, thing. But all we've ever paid for is Amazon Prime and Netflix. What, what do, you, do you got those two? Do you get others? Uh, we have Prime, Hulu, Prime right? Netflix and then we we do uh, – we have Disney Plus. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I actually don't have Hulu. So, so what I'm curious about is are there things that you feel like um, – I mean, monoculture's dead. We know that. Yeah. But like, are there things where you feel like, oh, I, I keep missing out on this because I don't have access to that? Thing. Right. I mean, the easiest one is anything related to HBO, I'm clueless about. So Game of Thrones, you could try to have a conversation with me about that. I will probably revert to mocking you. Right. Because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> uh, but, like, I've seen ads for the new season of, uh, is it The New Pope? The yes, Jude yeah, Law yeah, and yep, John yep. Malkin, like that, yeah. I, I I will never see, apparently. Because mm-hmm. there's not even a way to get this. Like, right. there's not a video store to go to down the road. Right. To, Isn't that strange, I mean, I guess though. you could buy, like, collected Right, DVDs, right, but right. I, or I you could you could do – like, so here I'm considering – because we used to have – we had HBO for a while. Uh, and then when we got Disney Plus, we bailed on HBO. Disney Plus is way cheaper mm-hmm. than HBO. This is not a commercial, but it's way cheaper. Um, but I've, I've imagined there are things on HBO I'd like to see um, – and I'm imagining doing things, and I wonder if uh, how often this will happen. Where I will basically, I can imagine this summer, I'm going to sign up for a month or two, binge a bunch of stuff, and then right. bail on it. No, the closest I come to that is when we take these J term trips to Europe. You get different. Amazon is different in Europe, right? Netflix, Netflix is very, very different. different yeah. So I will sometimes try to get through as much as I can. Like I watch Star Trek Discovery because. I love Star Trek. I'm not going to pay for CBS streaming just to get that. Although with Picard coming out, we have to reconsider that. Okay. So um, you do have stuff maybe. <laughs> it, it could be. But like I, I saw so I watched as much of the first season I could. I downloaded all the other episodes and I watched as many as I could on the plane and I didn't quite get to the end. And then I got home two days later, opened it, and it disappeared uh, for my device. And so I really don't know how that season ends, <laughs> which is a shame. So I guess I, I should just spoil it for CBS you because I don't know how. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what makes it plus? Like, what's the Apple TV plus? get you well that well because apple tv is a thing like that's there, a device there's and apple tv oh, plus see, is their streaming service so that's where the morning show or the correct okay. the other jason momoa whatever he's doing right. on there yeah okay. yeah so i just, just was curious about that yeah no i um because i feel like we're in a world where where 
for a while until all these things get rebundled together and we basically just have internet cable. Like we're um, we're in a weird moment of making choices about yeah. like okay, what are the things and um, yeah. So I so so I'm always curious. What's funny is like I don't really watch almost anything. And then I'll go through weird spurts because of our the way our calendars work as teachers where if I have some time off in the summer, sometimes I'll watch entire seasons of things really quickly. But then I will go months where if you ask me what I'm watching, it's like, well, I fall asleep to an episode of The Office. And, <laughs> you know, I'm just watching the stuff I've seen before because I'm not really watching sure. it. It's just ambient noise. So what's the last good show that you watched? Oh, um, man, I feel like it's been it's been a while since I've really been obsessed with something. I. I was watching Succession this summer and then I – oh, The Mandalorian. I, what am I saying? Yeah. I watched The Mandalorian. I, 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 that's not like great TV but but uh, being a guy born in the late 70s, like Star Wars hits all the right spots and like it was very, very fun. Okay. Well, I've been watching uh, Broadchurch. Oh, sure. Was, um, I forget if it was BBC or ITV. So it, it's been out for a while. It's been done. It was three seasons. But I'd watched Olivia Coleman as the new queen and the crown. So okay. So I'd see a very different uh, kind of portrayal from her. Which has been great. Sure, sure. Chris, do you um, have another word? Yeah, my word. Uh, so I'm kind of working backwards chronologically. So I started with interim, which is this J term class. So let me go back to New Year's Eve. My next word is resolution. Ah, does that rhyme with Garrett's? I don't believe it rhymes with Garrett. Nothing does. But resolution, it's another one of these kind of like double meaning words that I was kind of noodling on. So rather than inflict a blog post on everyone, I thought I'd save it for nothing rhymes with Garrett. Are you going to share your resolution? Well, so let's or? start there. Um, I do not ever make resolutions. Uh, do you make resolutions for New Year's, Sam? Uh, not for New Year's. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who They're like flag day resolutions or no, what's... I don't like, like, like I'm a, I'm a long-term commitment kind of person. Oh, so okay. like I would only acknowledge a, a, a resolution or a commitment once I've reached it. Do you know, but do you know people who do this and oh, take it sure. seriously? Sure. Ever... I don't actually think my wife doesn't do this. My brother doesn't do this. My sister doesn't do it. I've, I've not been in a culture of resolutions. Before. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, I, and I think there's, um. There's something nice about it. And New Year's provides a clean opportunity. I mean, obviously, you don't have to have New Year's to do it, but uh, but sure, I, there are people who say like, "I'm going to I'm going to turn over a new leaf." And it's actually, I think, one of the great um, whether we're good at it or not. I think it's actually a great piece of humanity to mm-hmm. say like, you know what? Regardless of how old I am, how stuck in my ways I am, like I'm gonna. I'm committing to trying something new, sure. and I think that's how we need to think about it. I I, I don't love the uh, built-in failure or even that we would consider it failure that I didn't do it. Like, let's say your resolution was I'm going to read a book. Uh, I'm going to read a book for fun every month. Mm-hmm. For some people, that's way more reading than they would normally do. And if they, if they, if that leads them to read a book in January and a book in February and then be done, it's like, well, it's two more books than you were going to read anyhow. So like, I think that's great. Well, that's kind of where I was headed because Resolution in this sense has this kind of sense of, of clarity and cleanness to it and, and then also this inevitable dissipation and, and, right. and frustration and failure. And so like if we hold it more loose, then I'm fine. Because the other – think about the other ways we use the word resolution. Like uh, the resolution. Like Congress of the resolutions. Those are well, things that. that don't mean something. No. Right? no, I was thinking more like a resolution to a story. Like a, oh, sure. um, high, ends being t- loose ends being tied together. Like – I don't expect that with those resolutions. Maybe that's sometimes the problem. The other is like think of high resolution. You think of things coming into focus and that kind of clarity. And and we're entering a season where that is not something I can expect at all. I feel like in my job, in our culture, like I don't expect high resolution anything. 
And so I don't know, like maybe that leads us to feel like this is a part of our life we can take control over because there's so little resolution elsewhere. We make resolutions to, um, to, to try a different behavior, to try a different habit of some sort. And yeah, maybe I just don't do them because I put too much pressure on them and you're, you have a more healthy approach to it. Um, like, do you know it's some a more secretive approach to it? Oh, that, yes, that's yeah, the other thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the other piece of it is it's, it becomes this kind of performative thing, right? And I'm not sure I'd want to tell anyone I've made a resolution. Right. And that's exactly why I, like I said, I don't acknowledge them even to myself fully until I've completed them mm. because it's like, it, this is, this is always something I might do until I've done it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to do number three or do you want sure. me to do number three? Uh, actually, why don't you do number three because okay. we kind of tied for the first one. So Yeah. yeah. So let me uh, go back just a few more days now. So uh, uh, shepherds, does that rhyme with carrots? I don't believe shepherds it rhymes with definitely. carrots. Definitely. I don't even think the German could maybe massage it into rhyming. With carrots. <laughs> so I, I was saying there at Christmas Eve, I actually go to two Christmas Eve services at my father-in-law's church in Iowa, one with the kids, and then I actually like the candlelight service. So, so you got multiple cracks at the Loop 2 Christmas story. And I think I was sitting there at the candlelight one, listening to this passage yet again for the millionth time in my life. And this is going to sound stupid, but it's like the first time I kind of lingered on the section where, you know, this has happened. Mary is pondering all these things in her heart. Then the shepherds go back. And uh, I should have actually looked at it. But there's this implication, if I remember it, like they tell people, right? Mm -hmm. And for the first time in life, I remember wondering, huh, that didn't really work out very well. Like, I, I mean, like, they, they disappear from the story of scripture, of course. Sure. I'm not a, I'm not a Luke scholar, so I don't even know what to make of them being there in the first place. But it is this interesting moment of, like, they've seen this amazing thing. Apparently, they tell people about it, and then nothing comes of Maybe it? Maybe they sent the wrong messenger? I don't know. Like, there's this fun, frustrating gap in the gospel accounts, right, between this and, like, there are a couple of little glimpses of Jesus when he's being circumcised, Jesus as a teenager, or, I mean, a slightly older child, and then all of a sudden, he's a grown man, right? And and this is part of the piece of that, like, were there stories circulating around yeah. Bethlehem about this? And it, it, See, I actually love things like that because, it, it, in all seriousness, like, like it, it allows you to think about what would fill those gaps because because right. maybe what it is maybe it speaks to human impatience mm -hmm. that like imagine if you knew god was coming today but he was coming as an infant yeah. you, you've had you've had infants before in your house like <laughs> yeah. they're kind of fun to look at and fun to hold but like if you're waiting for some kind of grand salvation from them it's like the, there's a long a clock on that you know so i mean it's actually like i've never thought about the fact yeah. that 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 god takes on flesh and starts at the very beginning like like why like why wouldn't you come as like a fully formed thing to get your work done you yeah. know but but instead there there is most of that life is in is in uh invisible preparation for yeah. that ministry yeah i mean and you you put it so i started thinking like you put that together the luke account with the matthew account part of which is that not too long after this birth, the local ruler kills all the boys <laughs> that right. age. Like, so I imagine, I don't know if this is historically how it happened, but like imagine the shepherds having this moment of lament. Like, did we really, like, did, did our savior just die? Sure. Right? And there's actually these despondent figures. Or it's just like people are naturally impatient. They want their Messiah now. And um, it is, so a week later, 
we end up doing what we call house church in our church, which is for various reasons we decide not to go to church. And so my uh, my son and I wrote a bulletin with an order of service because we're that kind of family. Wow. Do you guys have a family newspaper too? Uh, we have occasionally, okay. yeah. Uh, is it a Gazette or a Times? <laughs> We've not named it yet. Okay. It's more of a multimedia conglomerate. Gotcha. Actually. So anyway, um, instead of a sermon, I just kind of, we walked through uh, the story of um, – Boy, where was it? Was a little further into Luke account, and we kind of talked about this with my kids. Like, what do you think happened during Jesus's childhood? And then, as it happened, children's sermon last week, uh, same kind of question came up. And my son shot up the hand, the shot up his hand. The answer he'd been practicing in me, which is, "Well, I bet Jesus played with his dad's tools," which I thought was great. Yeah. Like, what an imaginative thing for a kid to think about. What would child Jesus be like? Sure, he'd be doing what I would do, right? And he, he has role models and. I don't know. It's such an interesting piece of the story because that's so significant. We just attach so much significance to that in our own lives. Mm -hmm. This is when you are formed as a person and then there's that part of – I mean, even the adult story of Jesus comes in pretty late. Yeah. If he's 30-ish or something. Like think of all that we're missing where he's already a pretty fully formed adult and the gospel writers are just not interested in it or don't have evidence about it or – uh, it's intentionally left mysterious. And yeah, most of them kind of happy to leave it as a mystery and resist uh, like Gnostic temptation to fill that in with stories. Right, but right. It's just a weird moment of like you think you've heard a story a million times, then you realize I've never asked that question of it. And there's not a good answer for it. But sure, it's, sure. Uh, it's where the human mind goes. But that doesn't mean the question's not good. So, Right, okay. Uh, you can finish this All right, here's, here's my last word. Um, my last word is Oscar. Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. Uh, that does not rhyme with Garrett's, Nothing right? Nothing rhymes okay. with Garrett's, yes. Does. Uh, and well, the search goes on. Yes. So um, uh, so Oscar nominations came out this mm-hmm. week. We talked a little bit about this off mic. We actually have conversations off mic. Uh, I don't get the impression you've seen a lot of these I've movies. Not, no. uh, and, and I don't really want to ask you about the Oscars. I'm, I'm curious talking to a historian uh-huh. about – uh, films that deal with history. Yes. I mean, uh, and particularly, there's a uh, major teaching area of interest for you in the film that won the Golden Globe for Best Drama, uh, 1917. Yes, right. Uh, it's also nominated for for Best Picture. Uh, and I presume, as a as a his, as a European historian, especially a European historian who teaches World War One, you get a lot of people asking you questions about depictions of history in film or things like that. So mm-hmm. so I'm I'm curious uh I'm trying to think like what question I want to ask you. I'm like 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 what are the what are the films that get it best? Not not necessarily World War 1 but right. just <clears throat> something about history best. Well, so I I actually written about this. So I'll give you like a capsule of what I cuz I do this in intro to history. We we take a moment to think about and the first thing I want to start with is that a filmmaker is a different job than a historian, right? And so like I, I kind of think of four criteria for how I judge a historical film. The first is, is it entertaining? And I mean that in multiple sense. Like in the sense of like I actually – if I go to a theater and the lights go down, the big screen comes up, I want some degree of entertainment. Um, not to say it's not educational, but like I, I want some distraction as part of that. And But the other meaning of entertainment is entertaining guests, right? And there's mm-hmm. an act of you're inviting people into a story of some sort. I think it should be truthful. Now, here's the problem. I think some people in my profession uh, kind of perseverate about, uh, but you skipped this piece, you changed You're doing these two years, yeah. right? And that's where I want to say it. that is not the calling of a filmmaker, right? And I think instead it's more things like verisimilitude. Does it feel like they're actually evoking a specific time and place? And that's where like anachronism really does bother me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're doing that intentionally um, – that that's where you need to think about. And that's why things like actually 
costume matters a great deal, mm-hmm. right? And, and set design matters almost as much as story and character in what you're doing. Um, I would say, does it inspire actual historical thinking? Like, does it actually leave you wanting to ask the kind of questions historians would want to ask? Which mm-hmm. I think that is fair to ask. Does empathy to tie do. into that? Or? Yeah. Okay. Like, does it make you want to see the world from someone else's perspective? Does it make you want to better understand the context of something? Does it help you understand how things have changed over time or how they haven't changed over time? Um, and then, um, gee, I'm going to blank what the fourth uh, thing was. Oh, I mean is the filmmaker actually interested in the past for its own sake? Mm -hmm. Because I think one thing you move is you almost treat history films like you treat science fiction films. You create this universe to tell the story you want to tell um, because it's at a remove. It's exotic in some ways. Uh, It can be a code for something, um, which is fine. But as a story, what I really love to see with historical films is they're setting it there for a certain point, right? 1917, because there's a certain kind of war story that they want to explore not just for the sake of doing this technical trick that Roger Deakins apparently does with the single take, but like they actually want to take that piece of the story of the war seriously for its own sake. Like the counterexample to this I give is there's a show called Peaky Blinders mm-hmm. that I actually like. I, I watched like the first two seasons on Netflix or Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. whichever it was. And like I thought it was really well acted. It was interesting. It's kind of this distinctive culture. Um, but it also is in many ways intentionally anachronistic and just kind of like picks this because it gives you a different way of telling a gang story, right? And that that part of that does bother me. So when I wrote about this a couple of years ago, the movie I was thinking about was Lincoln. Okay. That Steven Spielberg made, which it's not my favorite Spielberg movie. It's not my favorite world uh, Civil War movie necessarily, um, partly because of how Daniel Day-Lewis inhabits a character. It seemed particularly successful in all those counts. Hmm. And like the screenwriter had actually even done original primary source research to kind of get at the mechanics of how the 13th amendment was passed. And I feel like that's actually a pretty successful historical movie. Um, I'm curious to see 1917. I was ready not to go do it. And then actually a few historians I respect kind of tweeted out. They thought it was brilliant and remarkable. And now I've, I feel like I've got to do it because it's not a movie I want to see on a small screen. Right, right. Which I know you and I have talked about. So, so he, here's here's my question. I'm going to circle back to Oscar now. Yeah. So you haven't seen a lot of these movies right. or maybe any of them. I don't know. Well, have uh, you seen two, anything? Two Popes. Two Popes. Okay. One. Because you have because it's the streaming. Netflix, right. right. Yeah. Uh, of the movies that you haven't seen, and let's take 1917 out because you may have a professional obligation yeah. to that. Right. What's the movie you most want to see of the movies that are nominated for Oscars? Oh, well, that's easy. I want to see Little Women, which I still haven't. But, and it's weird, but like uh, the 1994-ish, mm-hmm. you know, Winona Ryder, right Susan Sarandon, Gabriel Byrne, like uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I have a really specific memory of going to see that with my family at Christmas. And then it's like something my sister and I will watch every year or two. Mm-hmm. And like I, I couldn't – and actually I remember seeing it at the Children's Theater here in town when I was like eight or nine. So it's got all these kind of interesting nostalgic-y family pieces mm-hmm. to me. But I also having liked Lady Bird quite a bit. This particular combination of director and star makes me really want to see it. I'm um, just kind of put all those things together. I'm being curious. some being somebody who loves the '94 movie, presumably loves the book. I it's been a long time. I was probably like 12 last okay. time I read the book, and I haven't really wanted to go back and read it again. Sure. Okay, well, you just hit on, my, on what I was going to ask about, which is if you love the 1994 movie, is there any of you that, even though Greta Gerwig is great, Sir Ronan is great, is there any bit of you that's like actually I, I kind of have the 1994. I don't know that I want this. That's probably true. Like the book, I'm utterly indifferent to, probably because I read that Louisa May Alcott didn't really like it very much, and it doesn't seem like this text that I'm wedded to. 
I guess at that level, I'm kind of curious to see where would you take this mm-hmm. beyond what I kind of think of as the platonic ideal of this story. Mm-hmm. Like it's even better than the Catherine Hepburn version. Or, sure. Um, but I, I just I find Greta Gerwig an interesting filmmaker, and and it seems like an interesting choice, right? Based on something like Lady Bird, right? Exactly. As a follow up, yeah. So I mean, it just seems likely to be a very interesting movie, which uh, you know, I guess kind of it's my version of entertaining. Sure, sure. Honestly. Yeah. Well, what about you? I, I don't know how many you've seen. I've actually, I've seen more than I normally uh, than I normally have. So like, I I've, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm-hmm. twice. I saw Bombshell, which I don't think ended up getting nominated for much. Oh, the Fox News. Yeah, I saw that almost accidentally, and uh, I saw The Irishman, or at least most of it. Um, I've seen a couple others. Uh, Yeah, you know, I – there's movies – like, I'm not – 1917, I have the same thing, which is if I don't see it in a theater, I'll never see it. And I I just don't know that I'll have a chance to go to a theater. Um, Can I tell you the reason I'm – now I feel like myself leaning away from – I just feel like that story has been done a million times. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, do I need to be told again how wasteful the war was and that the trenches were awful and that Let me ask you this. sacrifices were made? Like, I, okay, you don't need to see that, but are you happy there is a 1917? Because do you think everybody knows that? St- I mean, you, I don't know. You know it because right. you live in that world, sure. but I, I don't know. I, I feel like World War One in this country does not get the attention of World War Two, obviously. But don't you think if I just went to a random array of 10 Americans and asked them, tell me something about World War One, I'd get some version of, oh, trench warfare, it was wasteful. Maybe. Or you might get stuff or about nothing. Nazis. <laughs> That's possible, too. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, the reason I like World War One is that there's that story and there's so much more to the story. Right. And so, like, I loved seeing uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, mm-hmm. like, just as a technical marvel and clearly a very personal film um, for uh, Peter Jackson. But... Other than that, I, I kind of watched that. I watched it three times and said, I've now seen my share of trench warfare movies. Right. I'm not sure I want to see the right. story again. Right. Um, and then I saw Gallipoli show up on Netflix and want to watch that a little There you again. go. So. I would say, to, to, to go back to your initial question, I think Marriage Story is the one I haven't mm-hmm. seen yet that I probably really need to. Okay. So, um, yeah. I heard well, that's a rough, rough watch. But. I heard, yeah, exactly. Uh, Sam, thanks for doing this. Uh, let's do this again in January of 2020. All right, same time next year. I yeah. guess so. So you've been listening to Nothing Rhymes with Garrett's. We will join you again in the year. Thanks. Thanks.